following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. This morning we're looking in Matthew chapter 7, uh, Do Unto Others. So if you have a Bible and want to turn along, or you can follow as we read Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 12. Judge not that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you when or which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? As we turn to the Word this morning, let's take just a minute and uh, pray. Father, we do thank you so much for these words, and we thank you for Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that uh, is so clear about what it means to be a disciple and to follow you. And we pray that you would guide our hearts this morning into your truth and your Word uh, to understand um, uh, what you have for us. So we just pray for your Spirit to speak to us, that it would really be your Spirit who teaches us through your Word. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, In some ways, this morning is kind of a dream come true, because I actually don't like being in front of people. Like, I always thought it would be great if I could preach with no people. Well, here I get my wish. I get to preach with very few people. Um, At the same time, it's a little awkward, so I'm not not sure if I'm really very good at this. But Uh, We're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, as Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount... Like really all good sermons, I believe that he organizes his thoughts around one central theme or idea. And when I was learning to preach, uh, my preaching teacher was really big about having one key idea that you built your sermon around. And uh, Jesus definitely does this. And it's because it's how our brain works. Uh, Certainly, uh, we want to start at the beginning of a journey and go to the end of the journey without too many rabbit trails, right? And we all know that if we've been uh, listening to a teacher who's taking a rabbit trail and rabbit trail here and there, and it feels like they never get to the destination they promised we were going to arrive at, it's frustrating. And so Jesus use, uh, uses a very simpler, similar principles as he teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, where he organizes the sermon around a central idea. Um, so as we uh, look at... Um, uh, Jesus' sermon, it may seem like a lot of rabbit trails or random points that don't connect, but actually Jesus gives us, in the beginning of the sermon, his main idea. 
where he says, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's been building a picture for what it means to be fulfilling the law and the prophets or the Old Testament. And uh, Jesus said that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, uh, in other words, unless you can do a better job at fulfilling the requirements of the Old Testament than the Pharisees did, you can't even enter the kingdom. So we could summarize a shorter version that would maybe look like this. Uh, kingdom life is a life that fulfills the real purpose and heart of God, as spelled out in the Old Testament and, of course, in the New Testament, not by our own effort, but through the great saving work of Christ on our behalf. Of course, it is Jesus' righteousness that is greater than the righteousness of the Pharisees, not our own goodness or good works. Uh, it's through Jesus that we're brought into the kingdom, and as such we become true followers or disciples of Christ. Uh, and we come under Christ's kingdom rule. But this kingdom rule doesn't mean we now get to live or do whatever we want or live however we like. Uh, kingdom rule, the rule of Christ and the transforming work of the cross should change us so that we live very different kind of lives. Um, and so Jesus spells out in the main body of the sermon what this different kind, of life, different kind of life looks like. What is it we're supposed to be as we uh, follow Christ? And of course he gives uh, many examples. And then he comes to verse 12 of chapter 7, where he really ends the main body of the sermon. So there's still a conclusion where he's going to call us to commitment. But he wraps up the main content of the body of his sermon in verse 12, where he says, Whatever you wish that others would do for, to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is the law and the prophets. This is fulfilling the Old Testament commands. This is fulfilling the heart and purpose of what God has in the Old Testament. So when, he, when we get to the end of the sermon, uh, Jesus makes it very simple for us to check how well we're doing this, how well we are in our, our lives following him, and how well we are fulfilling the law and the prophets, the heart of God laid out in Scripture. Uh, how we can check to see if our righteousness is exceeding that of the Pharisees. Uh, and how we know how to live this out every day, day by day. And uh, it's a very simple, uh, a very simple test, right? We all, we all know it as the golden rule. Uh, whatever you wish that others would do for you, you do also for them. And we could actually uh, go through the Old Testament, or not the Old Testament, go through the Sermon on the Mount. We could go through the Old Testament as well. But we go through the Sermon on the Mount and we could apply this principle to everything that Jesus has taught and it would fit. So let's look at it. Um, we're going to look at what it means to fulfill the law, to do unto others. And then we're actually going to apply it to the last couple points of Jesus' sermon uh, in, in, in the first part of chapter 7. Um, and this is really simple. This is not complicated. right? Do unto others what you would want them to do to you. It's extremely simple. Uh, we just need to ask the question, how do I want to be treated? How do I want people to deal with me? Uh, and Jesus says, this is the law and the prophets. This captures everything that the Old Testament taught. Um, Jesus put it in other places, other ways. He put it this way. To the, 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 the law is summed up that we love God and love people. Uh, this idea of doing unto others as we would have them do seems to leave God out of the picture. But we know that the only way we can really love God 
uh, fully is by the way we treat and love others. Uh, it would be hypocrisy. And that was the problem with the Pharisees, that they claimed to love God, but they weren't really loving their brothers. And so uh, this is not really leaving God out, but it's showing the practical way that we love God and honor him and walk in obedience to him by caring for those around us and loving them. Uh, so we could, as I said, re- replay the entire sermon. We don't have time this morning, but we could go back through every point of the sermon and apply this principle. So where Jesus says, don't lust after a woman, uh, what he's teaching there is we should be treating her with the respect you would want if you were in her shoes. Uh, Jesus says, uh, don't divorce your wife. But if we apply the principle of the, uh, the golden rule, we should treat her or your husband as you would want to be treated if you were in their shoes. Uh, Jesus talks about not showing off our spirituality, not putting on a show. Uh, but he says, be uh, applying again the, the, the golden rule, be as genuine toward others as you would want them to be toward you. Treat your enemies the way you would want them to treat you if you were in their shoes, with love and not vengeance. Uh, help the poor and the needy uh, the way you would want others uh, to, to help you if you were in their shoes. And if you'll notice, I've said over and over this phrase, if you were in their shoes. right? And uh, it's, it would be one thing to apply this verse this way, and this is kind of how I, I tend to apply it. I think, well, I know who I am and I know my circumstance and I know what I would want in my circumstance. Uh, But it excludes everybody who's not me, right? And it's pretty easy to apply it that way for somebody who has the advantages I have, who has the health I have, um, how would I want them to treat me? That's really a very different thing if we ask ourselves, how would I apply this, not in my shoes, but if I we're living in their circumstances, right? If I were the poor person on the street uh, who needed food, how would I want others to treat me? Um, if, if, I were, uh, if I just lost my job, uh, how would I want others to treat me? Uh, this could become very real for a lot of people right now. All over the world, because of the coronavirus, people are losing their jobs. Uh, I just saw Vail Resorts, big ski company in Colorado and in other places in the United States, uh, overnight laid off 55,000 employees because they had to shut down the ski areas. And not only that, but most of these employees lived in um, uh, staff housing that was provided by the ski area. So not only did they lose their job, but overnight they were all kicked out of their house and just sent packing. Right? If I were them, how would I want people to treat me? Right? That's really what this law is about. Not just how I want people to treat me, but if I was in their shoes, how would I want people to treat me? Right? The key to understanding this is this whole idea of putting ourselves in their shoes. How would I want... Uh, and, and, and here's the thing. We all know how we would want our spouse to treat us. Right? I, I, I know how I wish Denise would treat me. That's easy. The real question, though, is how would I want to be treated if I were Denise, right? If she had to be married to me, how would I deal with that? What would I want me to be like? So that's what he's talking about here. Um, How would I want to be treated by me as a parent if I was my own child, right? If I was in the shoes of my kid, 
how would I want to be treated by me as the dad? Right? If I'm the boss, right, we need to think about what would it be like to work for me? Right? If I was one of my employees, if I put myself in the shoes of one of my employees or staff or co-workers, right, what would it look like to be uh, in their shoes? And, and also my phone's ringing. I don't even know why. Um, what would it mean to be in their shoes, right? If, if, if I was them, how would I want me to treat them in that situation? Get the point? So the focus here is not me, but really how I care for others and how I understand them. The goal here is understanding not just my circumstances, but the uh, circumstances of other people, what someone else is going through, and how I need to respond in light of what I understand them to experience. Uh, so, so Jesus, uh, so let's, let's apply this uh, to a couple of the points that Jesus makes in the first in, in the first part of chapter seven, uh, uh, and, and it, it, it it gets really easy to interpret scripture when we apply this principle. Uh, first thing Jesus says is, "Judge not that you may not be judged." Uh, my point for this is, uh, we can go to the next slide. My point for this is, look in the mirror more than in the microscope. Uh, look in the mirror more than in the microscope. And the thing is, we like, as human beings, we love to put others under the microscope and find their faults, right? Find everything that they do wrong. Um, uh, when others mess up, uh, uh, do something stupid, fail, uh, we, we, we notice, right? Especially if their mistakes somehow affected me personally. Uh, it may have hurt me or it may have caused me inconvenience. Uh, and so part of our human nature, it seems, is that we like to put those mistakes under the microscope. But the question is, uh, due to others, what would you want um, people to treat you? What would you want their attitude to be towards you uh, when you mess up, when you make mistakes, when you fail, when you do something really stupid? How do you want others to talk about you? or treat you, or respond to you? Do we want them to criticize and blame and find fault with everything you do? Oh yeah, I love that, right? I love when people can point out all my mistakes because I don't already know them, right? Of course not. That's not how we want to be treated. Um, and And so that's what he's talking about here, judging with a critical judgmental spirit where we're finding fault with everyone and everything. Now, I don't know why it is we like doing this so much. Maybe there's some good reasons, but it's definitely a part of human nature. We love to find fault with other people. We love to put their life under that microscope and find everything that they do wrong. Um, let's think about it. If, if, if this were not true, um, like news reporters and, and CNN and Fox News would have nothing to report. Because right? 90% of their news is finding fault with this leader or that president or this policy, right? Uh, we love that. Um, and, and the reality is it's not hard to find mistakes. It doesn't take a lot of natural talent or ability to uh, look back and see how things should have been done differently. Right? That's easy. It takes no extraordinary intelligence or skill to do that. And so we're all quite good at it. Um, so why do we do it? Why is it we enjoy so much uh, picking out other people's flaws and criticizing them. Well, I think ultimately, for some strange reason, 
uh, the goal in this is it makes me feel better about myself. Uh, perhaps it's that we need to vent our frustrations. And when people make mistakes and they do things that hurt us, uh, it is frustrating. And sometimes it is actually very painful. And we want to vent those frustrations. And, and so it makes us feel good by complaining about how they have done this wrong and they've done that wrong and they're how stupid they are. Right? It feels good. It's a release of my frustrations. Uh, it can also be a way to just make myself look better. Uh, people who deal with a, a very poor self-esteem or who, or who are insecure about their own life oftentimes feel that if they can make others look worse than them, if they can elevate themselves by making other, everybody else worse and bad, uh, it makes me feel better about myself. Well, there may be lots of other reasons, uh, and that's not what's important. What's important is Jesus says, don't do it. He says, do not have this critical judgmental spirit towards others. For the, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Uh, really, the only one who has the right to judge anyone is God himself. And when we become critical and judgmental of others, we're putting ourselves in God's place. Uh, and there is a judgment for that. God will use that measure against us. Not only that, but when we, uh, Paul tells us in Romans, that when we clearly point out other people's flaws, we are affirming that we know those things are wrong. So it doubles our guilt when we do it, Right? Uh, it, it, it's, it's proof that uh, we weren't ignorant. We knew this was a problem. And when we did it, it doubles our own guilt. <clears throat> um, so, 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 so Jesus says, uh, don't do that. Don't judge others. Uh, and he gives an illustration to, to highlight the point. And I think uh, in Jesus' day, this illustration would have been very humorous. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your own eye, when there is a log in your own eye? <clears throat> you hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. <clears throat> um, in this, it's, it's important that Jesus is not saying that we should not help. Right? Uh, I, I like to build stuff. I like to make stuff with wood. And, and really, really, there's nothing worse than when you're cutting a board and a little piece of wood shaving pops up and hits you in the eye and it gets in your eye and it hurts, right? And sometimes you just can't get it out yourself. You need help of somebody else who can look in your eye and carefully and gently help you get that speck, that wood chip or that sawdust out of your eye. Uh, Jesus is not saying here that we shouldn't care about other people or try to help them when they're doing stupid things, right? It's more about the attitude that we use when we do this. And he says the problem is not the speck in their eye, but it's our own life. And he says, how can you help them when you have a, a log or a plank in your own eye? And I brought along a couple props this morning because we're doing this on TV. So, so you may be thinking like a, a log like this, which would be bad. Like if this was stuck in my eye and I went to go help you, it would be very dangerous, right? And it would be a problem. But actually, I don't think Jesus had this size stick in mind. I think he uses a word that's much bigger. I think it's more like this, right? I got a plank in your eye. Here, let me help you with that. Um, that would be painful and scary, right? And it illustrates the point that um, when, we, when we think about uh, my problems in comparison to other, others' problems, 
one of the fundamental problems is that we think about their problems as being way worse than mine, and my problems are relatively small, right? Uh, we tend to think my problems are, are very small and really not all that sinful compared to your mistakes and your problems. And that's because we become very comfortable with our own mistakes and failures. Uh, but other people's sins bother us because oftentimes it hurts us. Um, so what you're doing is a huge sin against God, but my problem is just a minor character flaw, right? Or you are evil, but I'm broken, <laughs> right? Right? And so it's very easy to see and think <clears throat> that uh, my sin is, is not large, and we downplay it. But Jesus, in this illustration, <clears throat> uh, points out that, that my, my sin is a plank. Right? It's this big, right? Not this big. It's a big problem. And so it's something that we need to take seriously, and we need to deal with. We, he says we need to get the plank out of our own eye, so that we can help our brother and sister who also need our help. How do we do that? Well, first, stop downplaying our own sins. Right? Stop downplaying the things that we do that are wrong. Uh, other people's sins are glaring to us, but all sin is glaring and a big deal to God. Right? Uh, so we need to look in the mirror much more than we look in the microscope. Um, if we're going to be helpful to other people, if we are going to uh, fulfill the, uh, the golden rule, if we're going to do unto others what we would have them do unto us, we need to be the kind of people who have a healthy regular dose of self-evaluation and scrutiny over our, own, over our own life. We need to be brutally honest about our own failures and mistakes and be quick to confess them to God and to others. Uh, we need to be real and honest about our failures and faults. Now, the goal of this is not to be overly self-condemning. Right? Jesus is not saying, here, you need to beat yourself up and feel constantly under this load of guilt. Uh, to be plagued by a self-condemning attitude. That's not the point. The point is to model to others what it means to experience grace. Right? We all make mistakes, we all fail, we all fall short of God's glory. None of us uh, lives up to God's standard of love and holiness that we should. Uh, but we need to be people who are honest about our own failures, but also quick to model the power of God's grace in our own life. Right? Not that we beat ourselves up all the time, but that we're honest that, yeah, I made a mistake, I fail, I blow it. But God's grace is there for me when I confess my sins and I trust Him and I turn to Him. So what does this mean to do unto others? How would we want others to help us if there is a speck in our eye? Right? If we're struggling with something in our life that we may not even be aware of, how do we want another person to come alongside us and help us deal with that sin or that problem in our own life? Well, I don't know about you, but I would want somebody who is humble and honest about their own mistakes. Right? I would not want somebody coming to help me who, who portrays a spirit of moral superiority and that they can't relate to what I'm going through. Who says, well, I don't know what it's like to fail like you did, but here, let me help you. Uh, that would be uh, not helpful. Uh, we want somebody who would come alongside us as a peer uh, who, who can identify with our struggles, 
who may share many of the same uh, failings. And instead of uh, portraying a condemning spirit, shows a spirit of grace. Uh, What's really amazing about this is even Jesus, who never sinned, Jesus who never sinned, uh, approaches us with this spirit. If there's anybody who's morally superior who could come to us uh, with the spirit of like, why are you such a loser? It's Jesus, right? Because Jesus never sinned. But notice what uh, the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 2 and in chapter 4. Hebrews 2.18 For because he, that is Jesus himself, has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Right? So Jesus, uh, he didn't sin, but he suffered when he was tempted. He came to this earth and he experienced the same kind of struggles we experience. And he knows what it's like. Uh, so he is able to help us with grace and compassion. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 puts it this way. Um, Since we then have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Uh, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's amazing. Jesus put himself literally in our shoes. And while he did not sin, he experienced all the temptations. He wrestled with it for real so that uh, he knew what it was like. And, And so he comes to us who can give help, uh, not in the spirit of condemnation, but in the spirit of grace and mercy when we have that speck in our eye. So we should do the same. Uh, then Jesus uh, turns and he, he uh, gives kind of a one-liner that has thrown uh, theologians and com- commentators off the deep end. Um, and it's a little confusing. But the next thing Jesus says is, after warning us to not be judgmental, judgmental and critical, he says, Do not give dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Uh, real ble- briefly, th- this, this is a difficult passage and a lot of people wrestle with what it could possibly mean. Uh, I think it's really easy, though, if you try to interpret this passage through uh, the principle of the golden rule. Uh, whoever you wish, uh, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also for them. So let's apply that principle to this uh, strange saying by Jesus. First of all, let's look at what the pigs, uh, the pigs and the pearls. Uh, what are the pearls? Well, the pearl is something that's valuable. It has great worth. Uh, certainly it is a picture of, of the kingdom and the gospel. Uh, to those of us who know Christ and who are in the kingdom, it is our great treasure. Right? We, tre- we treasure the things that God has given to us in Jesus Christ. All the spiritual blessings of sonship and forgiveness and of a relationship with him. Those are incredibly valuable treasures to us that cannot be ever replaced. And so to us, they are precious and dear. Uh, that's the pearls. But what are the dogs and the pigs? Well, the dogs, uh, uh, and, and in, in, in this context that Jesus is using here, this is not your household pet. He's not talking about some 
a poofy, fluffy poodle that sits on your lap. He's talking here about street dogs that would roam the cities in that era, and they were vicious and mean. Uh, they would easily attack and bite people. They ran in packs, and they were dangerous. Right? Uh, and they were known to growl uh, at people who tried to feed them. You had to be careful even feeding them, because they would, they would bite the hand that feeds them, as the saying goes. Pigs also in this era were not maybe the pigs that we think of. They were more like wild boars. They also were dangerous. And of course, for the Jews, they were unclean. Um, And most likely, what Jesus is talking about here are those who are hostile to the gospel. The pearls is the the treasures of the kingdom. The, The dogs and pigs that he's talking about here are all those who are hostile to the message of the gospel. Um, But what he's not saying here is, beware of those who are hostile to the gospel. Do not share the gospel with them because they're mean and aggressive and unthankful. Clearly, Jesus never taught that. He said, go and make disciples of the nations. Uh, Paul and Peter and the apostles all went and they proclaimed Christ to their enemies. But but let's apply this rule. Uh, Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do to them. So here's, I think, the principle. How do we share the gospel with enemies of the cross? How do we share with them the great truths that we hold as precious and dear when they are hostile to us? Well, I think we, we can apply it by just asking this one simple question. If I was in their shoes, right? if I hadn't grown up in a Christian home or in a Christian country, if I hadn't been given the teaching of Scripture that, that I have, and for me this was strange information, and I didn't like it and I was offended by it, if I was in their shoes... How would I want Christians to treat me? How would I want Christians to be sharing the good news with me if I was a hostile enemy of the cross? Uh, when I was a kid, uh, we, had, uh, we had a dog, and it was a collie, and it was the nicest dog ever. Pretty big dog. And it was uh, really nice, and it really never bothered anybody except for this one guy who was a friend of my dad. And I don't know what it was about this guy, but every time this guy came to our house, our dog would go barking after this guy, and it would never bite him, but, but, but this guy was terrified of dogs. So you, you've got the dog who never barks at anybody except for him, and this guy who's just terrified of dogs, right? And so, um, so he, he came up with this brilliant strategy. And whenever he was going to come visit our house, he would go by the meat market, and he would pick up a big bag of, of 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 bones, like raw bones, right? And so he'd pull up in our driveway and the dog would come barking and he'd roll down the window and he'd start throwing bones at the dog. And pretty soon the dog was super happy and went off with his bone and disappeared and he could get out of the truck, right? Um, uh, It's a good strategy, right? Make friends first with vicious dogs by giving them a bone, Right? When we think about sharing Christ with lost people who are hostile to the gospel, um, before we give them the pearls, maybe we should give them bones, right? Before we share the, the hard truths of the gospel, hey, you're going to hell if you don't repent and come to Jesus. Maybe we should try throwing a bone first, right? And say, hey, God loves you. We love you. We want to help you. Let me uh, make friends with them first. Uh, The parable of the unjust steward makes the same exact point. Uh, And Jesus says, Make friends with ungodly money, 
for the sake of the gospel, right? Give them a bone first. Make friends with them first. Be a witness, but be a witness who puts yourself in their shoes, right? And is sensitive to where they're coming from and what they need. Share the gospel with them, but do it with uh, uh, being wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. Okay, third, third and last one. And this one may seem a little off the track, and it is a bit. But Jesus then switched, switches to the topic of prayer. He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Uh, Jesus here turns to the topic of prayer, and he talks about asking, seeking, and knocking. And and real quickly, asking is simply asking God for help. Uh, Jesus already told us this in the model prayer of asking God for daily needs. Uh, But also, as we start thinking through applying this principle of doing unto others what we would have them do to us, uh, if we start thinking through this, how how this would work, we will start to see really quickly, this would be hard. Like, if I really thought about the poor person who's out on the street, and I really put myself in their shoes and decided to do to them what I would want if I was that poor person, uh, it it raises the bar on taking action to show love and, and compassion to people, right? Uh, those who are losing their job right now or those who are getting sick with the coronavirus and are scared and are uh, uh, maybe even panicked. If I put myself in, them shoes, in their shoes and I did what I would want, uh, it requires real action uh, and, and sacrifice on my part. It's hard. And so I think we need to ask for God's help to do this. Jesus is not saying here, do this on your own power. He's saying, ask God to help you, to give you the Spirit and His resources to enable you to do this. So, so we ask for God's help. Secondly, we seek for His kingdom. He just said that in uh, chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek Jesus' rule over our life. Seek the spiritual blessings that he promises as part of life in his kingdom. And seek the expansion of his kingdom over this world that is dark and lost. For people who right now are looking for somewhere they can find hope and somebody who cares for them. And knock on the door of his throne room. Um, we, we, we are invited to come to the very throne of God and knock, to, knock on the door to be given access into his very presence, to draw near to God and to come before him as our Father in heaven. God invites us to bother him, (laughs) to to wake him up in the middle of the night. And of course, he never sleeps, right? Uh, He is not a God who is distant, but is incredibly accessible. And so he invites us to to come to him. but then he gives this illustration. He says, Ask if, if for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Right? Why would we not take advantage of, this, advantage of this amazing gift of prayer to draw into God's presence and to receive his gifts and his power? Uh, and then he gives an illustration from parenting. He says, Which of you, 
If a son asked for bread, would give him a stone. Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a serpent. Um, I, think, I think one of the easiest places that we, if, you're, if you are a parent, uh, where we can put ourselves in their shoes is in this role as a parent. Because we all have been children, right? We've all been kids. We know what it's like. And in fact, I think our own experience as a child uh, shapes and drives much of what we do as parents. Right? We want to protect our kids from the wounds we experience as children. Uh, for me, my, my dad was pretty hard and a uh, pretty uh, gruff guy. And I was a very sensitive kid, so when I was little, I just thought my dad was mean. Like, I just thought he was mean. I don't think he was actually all that mean, but that was just how I perceived him. Uh, so when I grew up and became a dad, I, I kind of went to the other extreme, because I did not want to be a mean dad, right? And it, it shaped... Uh, how I parent, because I could put myself in my kids' shoes, right? Um, so, so, uh, so when your kids ask for help, how do we respond to them? Well, of course, we would never give a rock when they ask for bread, right? If they're hungry, they don't go out and find a big rock that looks like a loaf of bread and say, here, eat this. Oh, huh, you broke your teeth out. <laughs> That's so sad. You know, we wouldn't do that. That would be the most unloving thing. Uh, or if they ask for a fish, give them a poisonous snake. No, we could not imagine, but we, we would want to give them good gifts. right? We want the best for our kids. But we also uh, don't always give them exactly what they ask for. right? It's a great rule of parenting. We know this. Uh, we want the best for our kids, but we know that not everything that our kids ask for is good for them. Our little foster daughter music... Uh, loves 7-Eleven. Uh, if, if it was up to her, she would go shopping for every meal at 7-Eleven. Right? Uh, and she would eat there every, everything. I mean, she, she loves everything at 7-Eleven. And her day would be very happy if every meal came from 7-Eleven. And if you've ever been to 7-Eleven, you know that there's absolutely nothing nutritious there. Nothing. Like, go into 7-Eleven and just, I dare you to find one vegetable. Like, one carrot, right? It's impossible because nothing in there is nutritious. Um, so, so it's a problem for her because if I always to, uh, said yes and always bought uh, everything she wanted at 7-Eleven, it would, it, would, it would be the most unhealthy thing for her, right? So unfortunately, I often have to say no, not because I don't want to give her good things, but because I know that 7-Eleven is not a good thing, right? So we need to teach them to ask for better gifts. We need to help our kids learn that the junk food at 7-Eleven is not good for you, right? We, we need to teach them how to ask for better gifts. Uh, so I was just blown away yesterday. Uh, music needed something to drink, and so we pulled into 7-Eleven real quick, and I took her in, and she goes to the, the big drink refrigerator where there's 10,000 drinks, and, and 9,900 of them all have copious amounts of sugar, Right? And she goes up and she goes to the water section and she pulls out a bottle of water. I said, don't you want like some juice or something? Nope, I want water. This blew me away. She's learning, right? She's learning to ask for the right things and to think of what's healthy for her. Well, if we being evil, if we who uh, apply the golden rule imperfectly as a parent, and honestly there are a lot of times when, uh, when, uh, as a parent when I have not put myself in my kids' shoes. When I am far too selfish, when I'm tired and worn out and frustrated, and I don't treat them as 
I would want to be treated if I was in their shoes. But, but if we still, even with all of that, want to do what's good and right for our kids, Jesus says, how much more will God give good gifts to his children? Or more specifically, he says, how much more will our Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? Does God always give us exactly what we ask for? No. Because too often we're asking for 7-Eleven and God wants to give us vegetables. <laughs> right? And maybe we don't want the vegetables. But God knows it's better. Right? Uh, we're actually asking for a snake and God's giving us a fish. Right? God only will give us the good and best things. But he always answers and he always will give us what is good in his time. Uh, and, and what's amazing is God uh, is a God who lives out the golden rule, right? God is actually a God who has put himself in our shoes. And that's what the incarnation is about. Jesus came to this earth and he took on human flesh and blood and he became one of us. He did literally uh, take on our life. He literally put himself in our shoes. Hebrews two fourteen through 15 puts it this way. Since therefore the children, that is us, share in flesh and blood, he himself, that is Jesus, likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. God put himself in our shoes and he treated us exactly the way he would want to be treated if he were in our broken, cursed, sinful bodies. He gave Jesus his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Right? God does not put this rule on us, but not follow it himself. Right? He is a caring, loving father who sent Jesus uh, to die in our place, uh, to pour out his grace and compassion on us, even when we were his enemies. Uh, and to save us so that we could be his children. Right? And, and so Jesus says, uh, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Because that's exactly what God has done for you. For this is the law and the prophets. Right? This captures God's heart and his love and compassion for us. That he put himself in our shoes. And he poured out his love for us. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.